But the, uh, the end times, things that will come, as I hinted, we're going to have to dig in. We're going to have to think a little bit more maybe uh, on this. There's some, there's some interesting things throughout the next several weeks that we'll have to wrestle with together. But through it, there's enormous blessing, enormous blessing. So I'm excited about that. You study eschatology whether you know it or not. So there's movies, there's songs, there's poems, there's all kinds of things. There's even stories uh, all about the end times. Even Johnny Cash has a fantastic song about the end times. So maybe we'll get to hear that. That was played at Great Adventure many years ago when the man comes around. It was fantastic. So listen to that one. It's about revelation straight from the word and many of those uh, lyrics that he sings. But the bottom line is you've heard of this stuff. And so now over the next few weeks, we get to dig in and understand this stuff. My job is easy. I get to introduce it. So I don't have to be the head nerd digging into all this good teaching. That's for Mike and others. But we need to have an overview today. So we're going to do that. And I think if there's one big goal today, it would be that the Lord would help us to ready our hearts. To ready our hearts. The Word of God is always profitable. But this study in particular has a hope and a peace and an excitement and a preparedness that we need to be ready for. So that's what I'll be praying, that our hearts are tuned, so to speak, to get ready to be hopeful and peaceful and excited and appreciative and joyful about all the wonderful things he has in store for us. Father, we turn to your word, thankful, as Mark already said, that it's authoritative, it's complete, It's useful, and we're so grateful that we get to know you uh, through your word and through your son, through your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, guide our hearts, that you'd allow us to remove the the distractions that can grab us at any moment, the uh, burdens that we can leave at your feet, and that you'd really teach us as we seek to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Normally when I get to speak, I say, well, open your Bibles, and uh, we go straight to the central passage. But guess what? There's lots of different passages when it comes to studying the end times. Many books of the Bible, Old Testament and New, touch on this concept of what will happen next. And in a sense, we are extremely blessed. We're getting a sneak peek to future events. Who else can say that? but the children of God. Very exciting. So um, my illustrious career as a reporter started in fifth grade. I was editor of the Irving School paper. And as Mrs. Shocks guided me, as I guided the rest of the school, I mastered the who, what, when, where, whys, and hows. (laughs) You may not believe me, but it was fun. We had a good time. We're going to study that a little. Those will be kind of the the way we'll dig into it. We'll talk about the who, what, when, where, whys, and hows of end times. And as a survey, you're just going to get a little sampling. But remember, the point is that our our interest would be peaked, our hearts would be prepared, and that we'd get to dive in more deeply in the next several weeks. So what's the who? Who is involved in the scriptural teaching of the end times? And really, it's, it's all the universe. It's God himself. It's us as humans, it's spiritual beings, other spiritual beings, it's the created universe. Even animals will have a place 
At least the lion, lamb, and horses we know about, and I would suspect many, many others, right? So the entire created universe is going to be involved in this study. And you know what? I feel like the rest of the universe has a leg up on us because Scripture tells us that creation is groaning, eagerly awaiting these things that are going to unfold. This, this world is ready. The created world is ready for relief from this terrible curse of sin and death and hell. The victory has been won, but the battle is finishing up. And I feel like a lot of the, the rest of creation understands and looks forward to this even more than we do. So this is our opportunity uh, to get excited about that. So every one of us in this room, now you need to know there's going to be two distinct groups of people. There's going to be those very blessed, excited about what happens next. And there's going to be those that endure hardship and eternal suffering from what happens next. The difference maker is the cross that you see on your diagram. The difference maker is how we've responded to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came over 2,000 years ago to open the door to renewed, restored fellowship. When he died on the cross and took all the Father's punishment for my sin and for yours, and then as we learned in John, as many as receive him, the Savior, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The group of us that will be very excited about what happens next are those of us who have received Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Those who have not received Christ are in for an incredibly difficult an eternally punishing time. Sounds crazy to even talk about that, but that's what the Word of God teaches. So we would start this morning by urging you to consider what Almighty God has done for you, what Jesus Christ has purchased for you. He paid the entire price for your salvation, for my salvation. And just like any gift being handed to us, all we have to do is receive it to believe it, to buy into that, to put our hope and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. So as we're talking, one of the greatest things that could happen would be, A, that those who know Christ would be encouraged, but even maybe even greater that someone uh, would receive Christ as their Savior and move from a future of destruction to a future of eternal joy, peace, and, and uh, God's presence. So that'll be our prayer. But uh, don't, don't overlook that opportunity. So the who is all of us. How about the what? How about the what? Well, this is the future of the world, and you can turn to your chart. This is a chart by Irving Jensen. I always want to say Irving Berlin, but that's another guy. Irving Jensen laid out this chart, and uh, as the elders kind of talk through a comprehensive view, this is a mighty good one. This is a mighty good one. You see all kinds of events here. These are events that will take place. These are events that are described in Holy Scripture. And so I'm going to just briefly touch on them. And then throughout the next several weeks, you're going to get to learn more and more about them. Now, hopefully you have a pen handy. Hopefully you have a pen. If not, there's at least should be two in the in the pew and you can pass those along. But you need to add an asterisk at the bottom of your chart. And that asterisk needs to be the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. You can see it described on the front under what? Why isn't it on the chart? Because we don't exactly know when it's going to take place. We don't exactly know when 
It'll happen. A lot of people believe it'll happen uh, right after the rapture. Other people believe that it'll be kind of in parallel with the great white throne judgment, which we'll talk a little bit about. But we don't really know. All we know is that those who know the Lord as Savior will stand face to face with Jesus Christ and give an account, represent, stand accountable for how we used these brief time, this brief time on earth. This is the testing time. This is our opportunity to show our love, to show our dedication, to show our obedience to Almighty God. And what happens in this brief snippet of 70 to 90 years or so, we hope, is our chance to honor, obey, and serve the Lord enough to where when we stand face to face with the Lord Jesus, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you want that? Scripture talks about Jesus Christ wiping away every tear. That'll be a nice time, right? I'm convinced that the last tears that I'll cry will be at this judgment seat because there will be loss. There will be frustration about missed opportunity. You ever bemoan a missed opportunity you've had in life? Oh man, I wish I would have. I think there'll be some of that. Nonetheless, as we learn about the judgment seat of Christ, we need to know that that's the wiping away of the last sadness and then we go into the rest of eternity in celebration and worship of our Lord and Savior. So put that asterisk on there and maybe do some thinking, praying, and studying of Scripture of where maybe you think that would fall. We'll look forward to learning more about that. But let's go through the chart briefly and just touch on some of these others. If you don't have one, uh, there's more in the back. We'll get you one. But you see the cross at the start. This was Christ's first advent or first coming. We know that he came as a baby. We know that he lived a perfect life. We know that he died on a cross, a criminal's death, innocent, perfect, holy, to pay for the sins of you and for me. And that was really the beginning. He rose again. Three days later, he rose again in victory over sin and death and hell. And as we mentioned, it's one of those victories that was secure, but kind of took some time and is taking some time to be fully manifest, right? We look forward to far more victory. But that first advent, that first coming of Christ started what we understand as the church age. We believe very clearly that the church is those men, women, and children who have received Christ as their Savior. We believe that the church is different from the promises that God gave to Israel. And while many who uh, are Jews can receive Christ as their Savior and be, be part of the church as well, we believe that God has special promises for both the church and for Israel. And so we see them as distinct Different groups of people that God will continue to bless and promise goodness to. So you see this church age. Now, how long is the church age? We don't know. Started after Christ's uh, in resurrection and, and really continues on until the next event. The fish hook that you see. Any fishermen in the group? Aaron Garrett, you got to raise your hand too. You were fishing yesterday. I saw you. Any fishermen in the group? Good, Aaron. Good, Garrett. Yep. Mr. Brooks, good. 
So you see that fish hook. What is that fish hook all about? That is a very exciting time. That is the rapture. And we learn about this in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians talks about how Christ will meet us, those of us who know Christ, will meet him in the air. Now, in the air is important. Why? Is he going to touch his feet down here on earth? We don't believe so. So will that be the second time Christ has come to earth? No, because we believe he won't come all the way. We believe, as First Thessalonians says, we're going to meet him in the air. Hence the fish hook. You see that? Hence the come to the clouds and right back up. And so the rapture refers to this period of time where we believe that Jesus Christ will will come, meet us in the air, and we will go to be with the Lord. Who? Those of us who know the Lord Jesus as our Savior. So the next event, the tribulation, the scripture teaches about a seven-year period of trouble and tribulation. It's broken into two different three-and-a-half-year points goes from bad to worse as far as those two points and suffering. Lots happening during that period. We'll dig into that. We'll understand it a little better. But what do we need to know? I would say we need to know that we believe the scriptures teach that those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior will not go through the tribulation. We believe that those of you who know Christ as your Savior, both dead previously and now alive, will meet the Lord in the air and will not experience the tribulation. You'll hear different views of how this is laid out. Uh, you'll hear a, a word pre-millennial view. We'll talk about that. You'll hear a pre-tribulation view. Well, that's kind of what we're hinting at here, right? We're saying that Christ is going to come to the clouds to bring those who know him to be with him prior to or pre-tribulation. And so this seven-year tribulation will be terrible, but we believe that Scripture teaches that those of us who know him as Savior will not have to go through that here on earth. And then after seven years, we have finally the second advent or the second coming of Christ. He came first as a baby. He grew a life, a perfect life, and died death on the cross. And then the second coming is Christ returning victorious. Now, if you want a preview, listen to Johnny Cash when the man comes around. He's coming. It says he'll be coming on a white horse ready to defeat any foe, any foe. And this will be very, very exciting. This will be wonderful time of victory that the Lord Jesus will bring for the people of God and for his glory. And it's told that we are involved in that with the saints. We're involved in that in some shape or form. So it'll be exciting to hear what the word of God says about our involvement. And so after the Lord Jesus comes back, he cleans up. He defeats any and all opposition. He takes the devil himself. He binds the devil for a thousand years. The devil is captive, not allowed to impact this uh, earth for those thousand years. And during that time, very exciting, those of us who know Christ will actually reign with Christ. You'll be in charge. You'll be in charge with Christ and he will execute instant justice. Can you imagine such a thing? Have you watched the news lately? Doesn't seem like we have a whole lot of justice. And yet when the Lord Jesus comes, the perfect judge will instantly execute perfect judgment. 
It was interesting, I was reading yesterday, and it doesn't mean that everybody on the earth during the millennium will know Christ as Savior. doesn't necessarily mean that. But it means that if any were to step out of line, there will be instant justice by the King of Kings. And so it'll be a great time of peace. It'll be a great time of prosperity. It'll be a great time of joy. And finally, justice brought to this world. Are you excited about that? It'll be wonderful. After that thousand years, for purposes only Christ knows to glorify himself, he will release Satan from his binds. And he will have one more final uh, battle. One more final battle, which he will be victorious, no question. And after he is victorious, then Satan and all his uh, evil followers, demons, and sadly even those who don't know Christ, will be cast into the lake of fire. Those of us who know Christ will go to the new heaven, the new earth that God will create. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. This earth is going to be worn out and tired. We're going to get a whole new earth, a whole new heaven. And God is going to allow us to enjoy that with him. But there will be an eternal lake of fire where we know that there will be continual suffering. People won't burn up. They won't die. They won't be annihilated. They will continue to suffer for eternity. And right before that, we see a great white throne, as it said, a great white throne judgment. Good news. For those of you who know the Lord Jesus, you will not go through the great white throne judgment. This is a time reserved for those who do not know the Lord as their Savior, who did not receive the Lord as their Savior. And the judgment is not going to be a debated occurrence. No, it will have been set. The Lamb's Book of Life will be read, and those who know Christ will not be present. Everyone that stands in line for judgment at the great white throne, sadly their future would have already been determined. And so this is the pronouncement of their judgment for the rest of eternity. Very difficult, very hard, but the Bible is clear. And so we'll look forward to learning what God himself has to say about these future events. So... The two-minute view, five-minute view of eschatology. But we wanted you to have kind of a, a little bit of a taste, some definition of these kind of terms. I'll give you two more quick ones. I already alluded to them. But a pre-millennial view of eschatology, pre-millennial view of eschatology simply means that we believe Christ will come back again onto the earth before or pre-millennium, before that thousand-year reign. The other one I gave you was pre-tribulation or pre-trib, right? That simply means that we believe that those of us who know Christ will be called to be with him in heaven before the tribulation. So as you hear these terms, as you read about them on your own, uh, our goal and and hope is that throughout all of this, you'll have a deeper understanding of what is coming. So when will this happen? Well, very profound, three question marks. I don't know. I don't know, but we do know that it's imminent. We do know that it's any second. I was hoping it was going to be right then. Wouldn't that have been cool? Perfect timing. Any second, the Lord Jesus. Let's take a look at a couple of verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Very exciting. Verse 2. 
For you know quite well, let me give you a second to get there. First Thessalonians 5, verse 2. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. So God is saying you can be ready. You can know what's going on when it happens. We just haven't been told when that will happen. And so how does that impact the way I live? Think about that for a minute. One of my, oh, probably follies as a youth when I was studying at Emmaus Bible College, I got pretty frustrated with eschatology. I'm kind of a here and now kind of guy. What's the point? What do I need to know about what's happening in the future? And one of my mentors, Steve Witter, would say, the imminent return of Christ should change everything about how I live. Realizing that my opportunity to serve him is now, and it could be done today. To realize that whether by death or by rapture, I have a limited amount of time to honor him. And the deeper I grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ, the closer I abide or cling to Christ, means the more blessing for God himself and the more reward for me. So this imminent return, boy, it should shape everything. Back in the day, there was an old drama skit where someone would have a rose and they would say, well, when I graduate college, I'll, I'll serve the Lord. And they would pull off a few petals and they'd say, well, when I, when I finally get settled in my career, I'll serve the Lord. And they'd pull up, well, when I get married and get that marriage, and by the tenant, they had no petals left. They had nothing to give in a sense, right? Will we serve the Lord realizing that today may be the last day we have? Will we serve the Lord with such passion and drive that nothing is more important than honoring him, obeying him and doing his will. I was talking to a a young guy yesterday and I was saying, am I moving towards where I say not what I want, but what you want, God? Am I getting out of the me, me, me zone where it's what KT wants? No, baloney. God, what do you want for this day? for this life, for this dollar, for this talent. The imminent return of Christ gets us excited about that. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, backtrack one chapter, verse 15 through 18, I think gives us some excitement about this. So turn back one page to 4, verse 15. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Look at verse 18. So encourage each other with these words. Comfort each other with these words. This imminent return of Christ, any second, has given you an opportunity to look forward with anticipation. 
Christmas morning on steroids for the Christian, right? Oh, I'm excited. Yes, any moment the Lord Jesus could appear. That's hopeful. That is peaceful for those of us who know the Lord. So even the when gets kind of exciting when we know the Lord is our Savior. How about the where? Well, throughout the entire universe, a new heaven and a new earth is is the outcome of these end events. And so there'll be no corner or part of the created universe or even the, the spiritual realms that will be unaffected. Everywhere, this will of God will be carried out with complete authority. No pocket of resistance will stand. No piece of uh, a group of people or even angelic beings will be allowed to not participate in this. It is every bit of creation. And so then we get to the why. And this is exciting. This is exciting. The why is, I feel like, so powerful. And for this, we do go to the book of Revelation. Turn there with me if you could. Revelation, I think, even the first chapter, the intro, if you will, gives us three powerful reasons why it's a blessing to study what will take place. Whether you're a man of action or a woman of action now, or whether you enjoy looking ahead to things going forward, there is blessing and profit as you study God's word on this. So, the first thing, why would we want to study? Why would we get excited about this? Well, because of the priority, the priority that Almighty God puts on these things. Look at Revelation 1, verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness of these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance of which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see. Send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And as we continue on, we hear that this is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, with the Father along, decided that God, God's Father's will was that you know these things. I like how John starts those verses in Revelation reminding us all that Christ has done for us. 
reminding us that he is life, that he purchased life, that he died, he rose again. All of that to say, hey, are you motivated? Then do make important what Christ sees as important. And Christ put enormous emphasis on the accuracy and the timing of how these things would be recorded so that you and I can study them. Remember that church age? Well, here's seven local churches representing all the church age. And Jesus Christ himself is saying, this is serious stuff. Pro tip, when the God of the universe says something is serious and a priority, we make it a priority, right? This is the will of God the Father, that we know these things, that we study these things, that we rejoice in these things, that we prepare for these things. There's priority here. Secondly, there's promised blessing. There's promised blessing. Look at verses 1 through 3 of Revelation 1. Revelation 1 through 3 says, This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. God the Father has ordained these things and given them to Jesus Christ to share with us. Second part of verse 1. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is the report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. God blesses. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Two weeks ago, as we were sort of wrapping up First Peter, uh, last week was the final. Remember how we talked about God opposing the proud but giving grace to the humble? Do you remember how we talked about how we don't want to oppose? We don't want God opposing us. We want God blessing us. We want the God of the universe, the omnipotent, all-powerful God, blessing us, not cursing us. Well, how does he choose to bless us? One of the ways is by my understanding of what he has in store coming up. The peace, the joy, the comfort that we can have. As the world rages around us, those of you who know Christ as your Savior, your future is secure. Your joy, your peace, even your prosperity in the Lord Jesus is secure through these events that he has preordained, through these events that he has laid out and made clear. Powerful opportunity. There's enormous blessing. There's blessing promised by the omnipotent God of the universe for those who study this and learn this. Is that motivating? It ought to be. Huge opportunity. And finally, there is power and there is authority in this teaching. Look at Revelation 1, verse 12 through 19. I am drawn to power. Tim Allen, way back, had a wonderful show, and he would say, more power, and he'd grunt. It's fantastic. This is power that so far surpasses any we can imagine. But this is enormous authority, enormous power, and I think that this should lead us to worship. This should lead us to joy, celebration, Embrace this amazing power that God is laying out and describing throughout the future and throughout eternity. 
So we look in verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice (laughs) thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. What an incredible scene. Jesus Christ in glory, eyes like fire, Voice like thunder, so bright, like look trying to look at the sun. John, one of his best friends while Christ was on earth, was so terrified he fell on his face like he was dead. And yet our compassionate, loving Savior, what did he do? He put his hand on the shoulder of John and said, No, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus is inviting us. Through his enormous power, authority, magnificence, he's lovingly putting a hand on our shoulder, inviting us to come and look at what he has in store for us. And through this entire study, if our response could be, praise the Lord, whoa, you are awesome. Praise and worship given to the King of Kings. That's a wonderful reason to study the book of Revelation and to study the end times. So there's priority laid out. There's promised blessing. And there's enormous power and authority and an opportunity to worship. We should be excited. And so as we wrap up, we talk about the how. We talk about the how. As we always seek to do, we're going to approach this series with careful, systematic teaching of what the Bible says. The Bible is authoritative. It's clear. It's concise. It's complete. And so we're going to carefully study this. A couple of little details. Understand that we're going to look at this as a futurist interpretation. There's all kinds of interpretations that would say, oh, you know what, this is all just merely symbolism. That this is kind of symbolic of what's happened over the last thousands of years. No, we believe that this will happen. This is future events. Future events laid out by Almighty God. And so we're going to interpret this as future events ready to happen. There's a lot of symbolism that we'll be learning through this study. But understand that the symbolism explains real events. Literal and symbolic teaching. Literal and figurative teaching instructing us about real, actual events that will take place. See the difference there? This isn't just some allegorical description of how God has worked in the ages past. No, this is a blueprint about how God will work and is working and will continue to bring about his holy, perfect plan for us and for the rest of creation. Are you excited? 
I hope so. I hope so. There's enormous blessing and uh, and uh, profit from what we turn our attention to over the next several weeks. Study it on your own. You've heard it said the Bereans were encouraged because they were studying the word on their own. Do that. Look into these things. And we'll be excited to discover them together. Father, we praise you. You are almighty God. You are all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. You have an amazing wisdom. And you've woven together just an incredible plan for what has happened and what will happen. Lord, who are we that we get a sneak peek of this? We're frail, weak failing individuals, and yet you've chosen us, you've loved us, you've allowed us to see what you intend to do. Thank you. We praise the name of Jesus, our Savior, who's made this possible. We praise the name of Jesus, who finally will be worshipped and adored by all the universe the way he so deserves. And we pray that you'd allow us now to get ready for that, to enjoy that, to participate in that. Thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name.